Hey, home growers, Parker Curtis here from Homegrown Cannabis Co. Before Chronic gets into another awesome podcast, I have another free seed deal to let you guys know about over at Homegrown Cannabis Co. We're giving away four free lemon drizzle autoflower seeds with every order. The sought after indica heavy hybrid is the ultimate evening dessert, filling your mouth with sweet flavors before sending you to bed. So head over to homegrowncannabisco.com, fill your basket and use code lemons. That's L-E-M-O-N-S at checkout. I'll be back later with some more info on this delicious strain. Enjoy the show. What's up, you amazing viewers and listeners tuning in from whichever program you get your podcast from. I am your host, Chronic, from the Cannabis Chronicles on Instagram and YouTube, as well as this amazing podcast that you guys get to listen to every single week. I get to host that, and that is brought to us by Homegrown Cannabis Co. So be sure to smash that like button, that share button, or that follow button to make sure that you show them some love for making sure that this show is possible and I can teach you guys every single week. Now, in last week's episode, we had uh, an amazing guest, and prior, we've had some really amazing guests lately, and I've done a couple solo shows, but this time, I'm going to do another tips and tricks kind of success video for germination and keeping your seedlings happy. Um, That's kind of the number one stage we get a lot of questions with. We do get a lot of questions with flowering and vegetative stage, but... I mean, seedling stage can be very finicky and you can very easily mess up your seedlings um, early on, whether it's German germination is a very big one. Many people don't even get past germination if they can't get their seeds germinated. So I'm going to talk about that, discuss some of the tips and tricks I use. If you want to hear some of the past videos I've done on, uh, you know, how to get 100 percent success germination, check those out. We also have a video um, on Homegrown Cannabis Coast YouTube where Kyle goes over the paper towel method and Parker goes over some methods on tips and tricks for germination. So definitely check those guides out. Now, without further ado, let's kind of break into some of the, uh, the tips and tricks. First thing first, genetics. I always talk about this anytime we bring up success with germination or any other thing. Uh, genetics is key. So starting off with quality genetics is going to be, um, advisable homegrown cannabis co obviously is the place that i always recommend you know this is the they sponsor this podcast and not just because they sponsor us i've been growing homegrown cannabis co for many many years um i talk about the times where i did illegal growing and even through the illegal growing i was purchasing homegrown cannabis co seeds even before they were homegrown cannabis co they were another company prior to that and they've been in the industry for quite some time because they've had access to really quality breeders and really quality strains. So there is a reason I do promote Homegrown Cannabis Co. It is because their strains are very true to lineage, to phenotypes, to leaf structures, to effects, to everything. I mean, they're very, you know, they're very good quality breeders. So uh, without spieling on anything like that anymore, Check them out. Now, a big one is is during the holidays, they always have like uh, double up your cards, free four packs when you buy a certain amount. Um, there's stash points now. Um, there's a lot of things that Homegrown Cannabis Co. actually has that when I first started purchasing, they it would generally only like double up deals very rarely. Or it might have been like a BOGO where you could get like a free four pack or something. So, ooh. Just woke up, got a little tired. Sorry for making some of those people yawn there. Uh, came out of nowhere. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Homegrown Cannabis Co. is definitely definitely one of the – I'd I'd be willing to say the top breeder for the U.S. as far as um, wide variety. You know, you have your independent breeders that 
<clears throat> breed those unique strains or have those very unique cultivars. And that's great. So essentially you just need to start with quality genetics. Okay. Uh, the next step is your water that's for seedling stage. It is pretty important on your water. Um, <laughs> if you follow, uh, my Instagram page, the cannabis chronicles, which I've been censored, it's been a while since I posted because of censorship. So bear with me. I'm, I'm debating on making a new page here soon, but if you follow homegrown cannabis co's, um, Instagram, you might've seen around Thanksgiving time, a story I posted I was like, happy Thanksgiving. You know, here's my beat up little plants. I have got some plants in a two by two and they're totally beat up. I've, I've totally neglected pHing my tap water and I just feed them the flowering nutrients. It's relatively roughly the highest end of the pH range they can be in. So they're a little, they're a little beat up, but they're still within range to eat and produce frost and thicken up and everything. So now would I do that with seedlings? No, my seedlings would die if I did that with, um, I'm a little bit more, when I'm moving or, and I say moving when I'm packing, we're, we're packing up to try to get into a new place and, uh, we're trying to organize and everything. And I'm trying to downsize my growth space, but whenever I'm, you know, fully in my grow room and I'm doing my breeding pro projects and everything like that. And I'm like really engulfed into growing, uh, water is always adjusted for me. And I always check the, you know, I always dechlorinate it. So not to spiel anymore. Your water is very important. Um, especially for seedling and germination stage, you, you don't necessarily want to use tap water. If you're using tap water, just get like a aquarium dechlorinator. Um, I show it on many of my videos. It's very, it's the most simplest thing to use. You just literally put a couple drops in per gallon and it's, it's very simple. It just takes all the uh, chlorine and harsh chemicals out for that fish really can't handle. So it's a, uh, and it's, it'll be perfectly fine for your plants. I use it all the time. Um, but I would get a dechlorinator if you're using tap water. And then another thing you're going to want is pH adjusters. I personally like the all natural granular ones. I use the TNB naturals granular pH up and pH down. It's my personal favorite. Um, they work the best. The pH up is extremely strong. Um, and the pH down is pretty, pretty strong too. So you don't have, a little bit goes a long way, very easily adjustable. Um, they don't raise PPM within your water. Cause that's one thing you have to think about is even using, um, liquid pH adjusters. Sometimes they do leave PK residuals in your water just from what they extract the pH adjusters from. So, you know, granular adjusters are going to be a little more on the like potent side of that kind of stuff. Like whenever you have rock phosphates and things like that, they're going to leave, leave, uh, PK into the um, water, the acid, the, I think I said, I don't know why I said rock phosphates. Whenever you have uh rock based, um, pH adjusters, you know, whether you're going more acidic or more alkaline, it tends to leave some residual trace of PK or various other macro or micronutrients in the water. So you just have to be careful. So you want clean water. Um, the, the best kind of water would be reverse osmosis water. Um, that is the hands down the best water for growing because you get to put whatever you want in it. You start with the completely neutral water. If you want, you can take everything out. You can add some minerals to it. Reverse osmosis water is awesome. The next best thing is like, uh, I guess you could buy, you know, it's kind of expensive if you do it this way. You could buy spring water or, you know, the, the gallons of spring water. If your tap water is super harsh where you live, that can be really expensive, though. Um, the I would say the next best thing would be, aside from RSO, would be like a Brita filter. 
just for your tap water and just use the filtered water and then add a dechlorinator to it. Um, but that's, that's it. You, you really, so to have the most success, like it, to, to take your, uh, environmental factors or your, the factors kind of out of your control, meaning your the lineage of your seed. Like if you have a dud seed and you do everything right, it doesn't matter. The seed's going to be a dud. Um, so make sure you have quality, quality seeds so that every seed is a spectacular seed. That's going to give you the best you know, potential results. Make sure your water is good. And now the last thing is, is overfeeding, overwatering, and overcaring for seedlings. So a lot of the times people overwater because they think seedlings need so much and they're, they're, they don't want them to dry out and they're frantic. And then, you know, all of a sudden mold rot or just bud rot or and that's crazy. Cause there's no bud, but like eh, botrytis essentially forms mold, mold begins to form mildew mold, um, all sorts of things. Yeah, it's not good. So this is the best way to care for your seedlings, essentially, um, to germinate them. I leave them. You can use a, a, a taproot or <laughs> use a taproot. <laughs> wow. You can use a paper towel to get your taproot going, um, or you can soak them. So there's two methods. The homegrown cannabis co method is a great method. And I always add one tip to this to, to make it a hundred percent success. So you guys have gotten my good genetics and good water. The one thing that I always add to my water uh, whenever I do seedling germination is hydrogen peroxide, 3% hydro hydrogen peroxide. So I'll use two thirds of my water. So usually I use distilled water um, to actually germinate. I actually don't use tap, tap water generally. Um, my fiance has like a little coffee thingy, like a Keurig thing. So she has to have purified water or distilled water for and generally she has a couple bottles laying around. I only need like a tiniest little capful amount, you know what I'm saying? It's just for seeds. So um, I'll usually do like a third of hydrogen peroxide to two thirds of distilled water um, for whatever seed solution I'm making. The hydrogen peroxide helps a little more O2 in the water. Um, also keep, keeps a little cleaner of a of water, you know, it helps with germs and that kind of things. Um, seedlings can be a little more prone to infection or disease at young ages because they haven't, haven't had an established root system or immune system yet. So that's, that's one big way I, I make sure it's, um, functional for me and a hundred percent success in like all my seeds. I, I legitimately don't think I've had a non-pop seed in a while. So it, it's generally a dud seed or maybe I just, I'm maybe the seed wasn't on the heating pad all the way. I don't know. Very rarely I get one that doesn't pop. Um, so there's two methods to this. So you have your water, you've got your seeds. You can either soak your seeds in a little cup of water that, um, you know, the pH dechlorinated solution with some hydrogen peroxide. You can soak them for 24 to 48 hours. And by that time they should have a tap root ready to go and you can plant them or you can do what a lot of growers do which is you can take that water you can pour the water over top of your seeds while they're laying on a folded paper towel so like you make a square with your paper towel set your seeds in the center and then fold the paper towel over it so it's like a wet folded paper towel over top of it and you leave that in like a warm dry place for you know 24 to 48 hours as well um potentially uh three days so that's those are the two options that a lot of people do um I use a propagation tray and dome whenever I do my seeds. So it keeps the, the heat in or not the heat, the uh, humidity in. 
And now let's talk about heat because that's another important thing. If you live in a cold state or if you're like in a place like me where I'm in Colorado, so it's hot as shit throughout the the summer. Like, oh, it's not too hot. I mean, it's, it's very nice, but it gets really hot here. It gets cooking. You know what I'm saying? It's not Florida heat, but it gets cooking. Um, well, we keep our, for our plant's sake and for our animal sake, we keep our apartment around 68 degrees. So it's a little cooler on the ambient temperature, which is, that's a little cool for seedlings. Seedlings don't like that. Seedlings like the 75 degree Fahrenheit to the 80 degree Fahrenheit range. Um, so what I do for the success is I have a heat mat from, I have a heat, a seedling heat mat from spider farmer that has a thermostat that I keep it on and I keep the thermostat set to 80 degrees to 78 degrees. And, uh, I have my seeds in a little propagation tray. So the heat map might be 80 degrees, but my seeds generally only stay about 74 to 76 degrees. And that's like perfect for them. So within 24 hours, I, I usually see a taproot forming. Just remember, you don't need a seedling heat mat. If your ambient room temperature really is around the 72 to 78 degree Fahrenheit range. Um, your seeds will do more than fine. You just generally, you don't want them cooler than 72 because what happens is that water on the plate starts to begin cooling because it's ambient and just cool water and cool temperatures are going to cause slow growth. So for the best results, for no stunted tap roots, for no issues whatsoever, um, you just want to make sure you have like a warm, nice, um, tropical like environment for your seedlings. Now, what do you do once you germinate them? They have a taproot form. Their taproot is like just starting to pop out. Do you leave them? Do you do you plant them instantly once you see a little tiny taproot? What what's the deal? This is a question I get all the time. Uh, you want to wait till your taproot's about half an inch long. You really don't want to plant your taproot if it's only just a little tiny tail out of the shell. Um, here, a few reasons why. You do want a nice taproot so that at least there's some distance within the soil so you can at least, you you know that moisture, you don't have to keep that top soil so moist all the time. Um, two, you have more of a chance of your, your plant having a successful life if there's a longer taproot for it to begin its journey and creating a root system. Um, and three, if you do have a longer taproot, you for sure 100% know that this is not going to be a dud. The taproot's not going to stall. Nothing's weird is going on. Um, but mainly it's the, it's the keeping your soil or your cube or your cocoa or whatever you're using wet. So whenever you have tiny taproots, it's really hard to keep um, the area that the taproot's in soaked all the time unless you have like a, a drain, drip and drains, like a drip system. <coughs> excuse me sorry unless you have a drip system or a draining system or like a like a flood and drain or unless you're in there consistently watering your plants or you have like humidifiers going galore um the easiest way to do uh is just let your seedlings go to about half an inch on the taproot and then you're going to place them into your seedling pot or your first you know your first um container or your rockwool cube or whatever you're putting in in your cocoa pod hey there home growers i'm parker curtis and i have great news for you you can grab four free blueberry autos right now at homegrown cannabis co all you have to do is add code blue 420 when you check out and you'll get a free pack of amazing seeds worth 78 dollars this is one of our best-selling strains and it's perfect for beginners and advanced growers especially for those looking for a quick easy harvest 
As far as her numbers go, you're looking at a THC level of 20% from an indica-dominant plant. 16 ounces per square meter of yield, 8 to 10 weeks in flower, and juicy flavors that will blow your mind. Remember to use code BLUE420, and when you've grown these out and get to experience the sweet taste of blueberries, make sure to reach out on Instagram and tell me what you think. See you in the garden. So there's a few things you can do. So Rockwell cubes, very, very great. Um, you can soak them prior, you know, 24 hours prior to 48 hours prior in a in pretty neutral solution, like at like 5.6 to 5.7, even 5.8 is fine. Um, soak them in a little tiny bit of kelp and they'll have wonderful nutrients for your tap roots. The cool thing about Rockwell cubes is they can be used for pretty much any type of cultivation. You can transplant Rockwell right into soil. You can, you know, technically rip Rockwell right off from the roots if it chunks off because um, it's fiberglass. It's very easy to wash off, although that's sometimes dangerous because roots can get stuck into it. So I don't recommend doing that. Um, you could use Rockwell for deep water culture. You can put Rockwell into a cocoa like transplant. So Rockwell is a pretty good versatile one. Very inexpensive. You can get the cubes in multiple sizes. You can get them in little pods, you get all sorts of things. So Rockwell is a quality one. It stays wet for a good amount of time. It soaks up. It's absorbent. Um, pretty good. The only thing about Rockwell you have to remember, though, is if you put Rockwell just by itself without anything covering it, it can develop like mildew almost or mold, uh, almost like an allergy look to it. Um, it's not good as bacteria. It's like an allergy. It's like a fungus. So you, you have to make sure your Rockwell's covered. Um, other than that, Rockwell's a great option. Uh, peat moss or cocoa pods. Those are great options. Um, those are, you know, a lot of growers use those. They'll stay wet a lot longer than um, your rock wool pods. So make sure if you're using the peat, the peat moss or the cocoa pods that you're making sure that you allow them to drain fully because they do have a lot of growers early on tend to flood or drown their plants because there's so much. It's just like sopping wet. Um, you don't want that. And then last but not least, you can just do like a little tiny seedling pot, little tiny seedling container uh, with filled with some soil like Happy Frog. Happy Frog is a good from Fox uh, from Fox Farms. Happy Frog is a very neutral, um, not too hot soil. And for those who still don't know what hot means when talking about a substrate, hot is like if if your soil or your substrate is hot, that means there's an overabundance of nutrients, um, way high in ppm that will, your plant will probably end up dying if it if it gets planted into because it's it's going to be too many nutrients. Um, <clears throat> it'll go into a nutrient lockout, and you don't want that. So picking your right your the the most appropriate thing to plant your seedling in with your grow up or your grow, you know, whatever you're growing with your garden, how you have it set up is going to be, um, it's going to be the, you know, one thing that you have to choose. It's variable, variable based. So anything I've said today, all the variables, all the variations, that's completely grower's choice. Uh, to be honest, the pros and cons, there's pros and cons for every type of growing. And you'd have to listen to like hydro versus soil versus cocoa episodes of where I talk about like why soil is good for soil is like the best beginner one because it's the most forgiving. Um, so if you're a true novice listening to this, if you want my advice, I'd go with soil. So you have the, the least bit of headache and learning curve. But as far as like quality of growing or like, 
you know, which one's best for your situation. You're very, depending on if you're wheelchair bound or if you are mobility bound or maybe you have a shoulder issue or you can't lift weight over a certain amount of things or maybe you can only work so often or you only have so much time to garden. There are certain growth setups that fit everyone's lifestyle and mobility, movement, movement and pairing, like anything you have going on with your life. You know, hydroponics is great for those in wheelchairs and those with a lot of mobility issues because they could use a pump to siphon out the substrate in a sense because it's water instead of having to carry big soil bags or heavy soil and throw it away or compost it. Uh, Cocoa is great because it's kind of a mixture between soil and uh, like hydroponics and a little cleaner. And when I say a little cleaner, it's a lot cleaner than soil. You don't generally get fungus gnats and things like that. So, you know, for people who are like indoors or, you know, there's a, there's a, your, your local grow shop has a ton of cocoa at good price. There's reasons to go specific uh, grow styles and grow setups for everyone. So just pick the, the proper uh, seedling, planting style for yourself so if you're growing in hydroponics you probably want to rock a rock wool cube if you're growing in like flood and drain or um a drip system or cocoa you could go with either like a cocoa uh, pod or you could go with like rock wool cubes um if you don't go with rock wool cubes or cocoa pods you can go with peat moss Sorry, let me repeat that. Um, if you don't go with rock wool, if you don't go with cocoa, cocoa, you can go with peat moss. Um, they're about the same thing. Just remember, for anyone going with peat moss and choosing peat moss cubes or soil off the gate, don't wet it as much. They stay much more wet, um, and it takes a little longer to aerate them. So with that being said, we've gone over good genetics. Uh, we've gone over good water. We've gone over my little tip with hydrogen peroxide to help uh, kind of like not not sanitized but like keep a sanitary type water you know give give a little cl- uh, more o2 to your seed and and keep it a little cleaner off germination we talked about initial planting options for you know your seedlings how long you should leave your tap roots in now for seedling stage how long does seedling stage last till it's considered like vegetative I would say about three to four weeks is, is relatively the seedling stage for most growers because at the fourth week, most people are doing low stress training, some high stress training, topping, um, and starting to do and work with their plant in various ways. So that's when I consider the vegetative stage to be in full effect when your plant is really becoming a juvenile plant and starting to grow into a nice, healthy adult vegetative plant. Um, now the first few weeks of seedling stage, you really don't need to do much, uh, humidity domes and propagation trays are really the best. If you are growing in a large pot, like you're growing autoflowers and you've planted your autoflowers in their final homes, you might want to do like clear, um, clear humidity domes or clear little cups over top with holes in them to mimic like a humidity dome. So you don't have to water all five gallons of the soil. You just have to keep the area, the small portion, like one gallon portion around the center of the, the, 
the planted area and where your seedling is moist and you can put the cup right over top of it to keep humidity right around the leaves and everything as seedlings really like a lot of uh humidity you know cannabis in general while it's growing it only wants roughly 65 percent humidity during vegetative stage at the high end and in flowering it really doesn't like that much it, you know roughly 45 to 55 percent is, is plenty good enough in flower um with lower humidity being okay sometimes now seedlings they love it's like 80 percent to 90 percent humidity they, they love it they love it love it love it but that that can also bring problems because if you have too much humidity on your soil you can you know cause mushrooms like not the good kinds so of bad fungus you can cause mildews you can cause molds to happen you can kill your seedling all sorts of things so keeping humidity humidity dome to just have a small little atmosphere of that high humidity is a lot easier to control than changing an entire grow room's atmosphere. So I always recommend humidity domes or propagation trays with domes because they're a lot easier to get your seedlings going. And it makes uh, makes makes for more success with all this uh, time and effort put into growing your seedlings. <coughs> now, the last thing that we're going to talk about is essentially the the only other way that you're going to kill your seedling we'll we'll talk about two ways cuz i kind of briefly mentioned it earlier first way is training so you you don't really need to do any training whatsoever if your seedling starts sprouting a really long stem that generally means that your light might be a little too high um that you're that that you may need to lower your light. Now that's not always the case because if you have your light at like 12 inches above it or like six inches to eight inches and turn down and your plant's still stretching, it might just be a stretchy genetic. Okay. So now, you know, you have a stretchy little sativa or coastal type strain on your hands. Um, so you can work with it by using the little green twist ties to like slightly bend over the stem without pinching it or anything. And just like, like essentially, pushing it over in nature, like something like a little leaf or something has bent it over and it's got to like grow out from under the leaf, right? You're just giving it a little more time to have some vertical space and you're, you're going to widen it out. So I always tell people, make sure your light height is pr proper for seedlings. They like eight inches to 12 inches, um, above the, the canopy and they like the, um, the light to not be so strong. You don't even really need to use your really good grow lights for seedlings. You can use, I mean, T5s, you could use CFLs. Um, I had these little tiny tube light T5, uh, 3,500K and 3,800K spectrums, and they do great. They, they grow the seedlings wonderfully. I, I even, um, in my little two by two tent now, I just have my little Mars Hydro TS 1000 and I just turn it all the way down and my seedlings do wonderful. Um, they don't need a ton of light. They just need enough light uh, with enough lumens to get them growing, to get them to uh, pop open their first set of leaves, which is called the cotyledon leaves. And then once from the cotyledon leaves, they'll go ahead and start popping out, uh, popping out a proper set of fan leaves. And they'll, you know, do that in sets of two. Now, once you get your first set of fan leaves, generally your seedlings will take off pretty rapidly after that. That's where the growing really starts to happen. Um, cotyledons are the early leaves to help them get photosynthetic uh, radiation so that they can do all the photosynthetic activities. Um, now, the last thing that I'm going to discuss, which this is pretty much where everyone kills their seedlings. Like, I, I, I'm pretty positive that 99% of the growers do all the other stuff right, but this is like the where the 
all the qualms and headaches. And when I help people, this is where it all comes down to. And they, you know, you, you always feel so dumb as a grower um, or as a person when you're like, oh, it's, it's such a simple mistake. I'm beating my head against the wall. It Don't feel bad. I make simple mistakes in my gardens all the time. It, it, even with me um, educating you guys and like having all this information, like there are some times where like I have just so much going on in my personal life or like I'm running around for my day, you know, doing errands or I've got, I'm on phone calls or whatever it is. And I just like totally hiccup on like one little thing. And then that little thing kind of steamrolls into like a, a kind of a bigger headache, whether my plants like losing families because now it's out of range and it's like, it looks all beat up and burnt up because there's the necrotic spotting and stuff. It, you know, those little things happen. Many a times I've killed seedlings by overfeed feeding them. So a hundred percent I've done that, which is the next thing we're talking about overfeeding. So seedlings come out of the gate, um, really not needing food. I tell all of my growers and it's not just to like, uh, Oh, buy homegrown stuff, buy homegrown stuff. I, I use germ genie on a very regular basis. Um, it's a very nice kelp extract. Like my favorite form of feeding early is kelp. Kelp is, first off, I like feeding kelp throughout my whole grow. Kelp offers all the flavors and kind of profiles that you would find with a fish feed because kelp comes from the ocean. It's like it's like a sponge for all the fish shit and galore and nutrients that fish put out in the ocean and it really picks it up. And um, seaweed is is essentially, if you didn't listen to the last episode um, not the last episode, one of the, one of the few episodes ago, I interviewed, um, the gentleman from TNB naturals, um, talking about their new product kelp tastic and how, you know, what kelp does. Cause they, they're, you know, working with kelp now, Canadian kelp. It's really, really interesting what kelp does and how much nutrients are inside of kelp. So with that being said, uh, get yourself a kelp meal, you know, whether it's TMB naturals, kelp tastic. I, the reason I say germ genie is because kelp tastic, that is a great one to have. And I use it through my whole grow. I top feed with it. But Germ GD is a liquid concentrate extract kind of thing so that you can drop it into a feed and use it right then. Um, so it's a little more activated versus I, I don't have to wait for the top feed to work. Um, but Kelptastic, for those wondering, it, it's actually very solid solid product. I've been enjoying it. I've used it a couple of times for um, getting my plants back in range that I beat up. So it's quality. But to my point, uh, for seedlings, I literally use like two drops of germ genie to a whole gallon. And I generally don't even make a whole gallon for my seedlings. So if you're asking realistically, I use one drop to if, if a second falls out, it's okay to two cups of water. And that's generally how I, I feed my seedlings with that because they're, they're in little tiny pots or in a little propagation tray. So a little bit of water goes quite a long way. Um, so that's how I feed them. And I only, and every single time I give them water, which is like every other day, depending on how like humid their propagation trays stay. Like if I have six seedlings germinating in my tray versus three seedlings, it might stay a little more humid because there's more moisture to the cubes and substrate. Um, so I might only be watering them once every two days or once every three days, um, depending on how wet they stay. So you just have to mind how wet the substrate is, how fast they dry out. And if your seedlings are growing rapidly and they're looking like they're wanting more food, meaning they're like edge fading and they're showing symptoms of wanting more food, definitely feed them. Um, don't feed them more than 150 ppm of feed for the first month. That's like insane amount of food for them. Uh, those little tap roots uh, come out of the shell with 
like about two and a half to three weeks worth of nutrients for the little guys because in nature they don't get they generally don't get much in nature um you know during spring all the animals are still waking up they're gonna have whatever nutrients are left over in the soil you know bears and animals and birds haven't pooped or peed or anything next to the plants yet for the soil to really like you know have be nutrient rich uh for them like super hot so even seedlings in nature start off relatively in, in neutral neutral climates and setups because of you know snow and water and rainfall flushing the soil of a lot of things and kind of giving them the best chance to start out so that's the same thing that we have to do in our grow tents where we don't want to overfeed them <clears throat> cause nutrient toxicity or nutrient lockout because with seedlings if they're locked out or toxic, it's I, it's very rare that a seedling is going to survive being in a lockout or being toxic or being overfed. Uh, they're very, very, very prone to being uh, pr- prone to dying very quickly. Seedlings don't have an established root system as as like a juvenile or or a adult plant has. Their immune system's not strong. The shock is a lot, and with being out of range means slow development on growth so if they don't have fan leaves developed all that well it's it's pretty much a no-go you're gonna kill your plant so i would i don't recommend feeding anything but a kelp a literal light kelp meal the first four weeks that's just that's really what i do you know some growers will go the third week and feed but for me i just leave it till the fourth week even if even if my plants are a little like oh man we need to eat they're they looking a little beat up I would rather give them a really heavy compost feed or a really heavy first feeding and allow them to just absolutely chug it down, eat it, absorb it, enjoy it, and um, really take off. That That is what I like to do because it then I know they've eaten all their starter nutrients. I'm not going to overfeed them and they want the food. Now, another reason why I feed kelp meal every time I generally feed this is going to be important for you uh, microbial growers or anyone using microbials, you organic growers, you par organic growers. But whenever you have microbials in your soil or you're a substrate or you're working with um, microbials, you need to make sure you feed the microbial. So you may not be feeding your plant, but you still need to be providing sugars and various foods for your microbials so that your microbial life and colonies don't die within your soil. So that is another reason I do feed the microbial life kelp meal every time or some sort of kelp feed um other than that that is the the these are literally the tips i use for growing my seedlings i don't i really don't mess with my seedlings like until i can top my seedling um which is the third or fourth node for me um training doesn't begin and they don't get treated like a juvenile until then once that that first top can happen or i can train them with a uh my first little crop spot or like massage their stem with a super crop um, or like Cushman chiropractics almost, that's when I'm like, okay, it's, it's veg time. It's now it's time to train these girls. Like, you know, they're, they're going to be growing. They're gonna be taken off here soon. But <clears throat> that first month of life, I really let the plant just do everything. I've, I've totally tested messing with the plants early on and doing this and that. And I've killed so many seedlings just from my own errors and mistakes that these are my recommendations. These, these really are, um, the best tips and tricks I can personally give through my experiences, through talking with other growers. Um, the hydrogen peroxide one is a big one. 
that one came from, so that's not my tip and I'm not going to try to act like that's my, my claim to tip. And I knew this from a, no, Todd McCormick. Um, one of the gentlemen's that I, uh, I follow for many years. He's a very dedicated old school grower. He, his name has been in the industry for many years and he's helped many strains come to light and he's, he's saved many strains. Let's put it that way. Um, but he, he's the one who actually gave that tip out a few years back and, uh, big, you know, Todd, if you, if you do hear this big shout out, man, I I've always appreciated what you did for what, what you've done for cannabis, what you have, um, done for cannabis in the past and what you're still doing. So much appreciated. And I, I highly recommend using hydrogen peroxide for everyone. Whenever you germinate seeds, I, I literally, that is one thing I, I always make sure to add to my little ratio of water. Um, and I, I legitimately don't have issues popping seeds and these could be seeds from five, six, 10 years ago. Uh, shit. I even popped a seed from about 15 years ago. So, which is wild to even say, cause <laughs> boy, oh boy, 30s coming up quickly. <laughs> uh, but without further ado, guys, that's, that, that's really it. So for you guys and gals out there growing and, and having trouble with your seedlings and your seedling stage, I just wanted to put this out there because we are approaching, uh, the germination seats, you know, stage of, of the seasons again, getting into a new season here soon. And the outdoor growers have to wait for spring, but a lot of the indoor growers are going to be popping seeds here soon. And I figured I'd go ahead. We talked about drying and curing and trimming. We talked about all the harvest stuff. So let's go. We're going to probably break back into some of the fun vegetative stage things here in next week's episode. And I have a, I have a fun interview to bring you guys. Um, I think next week you guys should be able to hear from, it's either going to be next week or the following, but there's a gentleman from the autoflower review that's been growing a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of autoflowers for homegrown. So I'm going to have him on. I was on his show. If you guys do want to check that out, that was pretty cool. Very, very fun interview, but I was on his show and, uh, it was just very nice gentleman. We're going to talk about autoflowers. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's a true novice. Him and his, uh, grow buddy are true novices and, they are experiencing all the wonders of growing out of flowers, just like a true novice would. So we'll get them on and, you know, allow you guys to hear from them and hear their hiccups and fun mistakes. So hope you guys enjoy. Be sure to smash that like button, you know, hit that follow button and all that fun stuff to make sure you never miss out on an episode from homegrown cannabis co. Whenever we put out these podcasts, I am your host from, uh, the cannabis chronicles on Instagram and YouTube, even though Instagram doesn't like me, I'm still, you know, I'm still there. Um, but I'll be back every single Wednesday to go ahead and blab to you guys and teach you guys more about cannabis cultivation and education on this podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to the homegrown podcast, ladies and gentlemen, without, without further ado, much love, happy growing and peace. Thanks chronic for another amazing podcast. And thank you home growers for listening. Remember to like, follow, and give the podcast a five-star rating. Remember to use code BLUE420 over at homegrowncannabisco.com to pick up your free blueberry auto seeds with anything you buy. Happy growing and see you in the garden.